0: All right, everybody, let's get started if we can. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day in which we celebrate the resurrection of your Son, this day when we rejoice in the fact that in your world now, your Son has entered and shown us what it means to be fully human in Him. Be with us this morning as we talk about some of the deep theological issues in the first century church and how they affect us today. Give us your spirit in Jesus' name. Blessed be the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. I understand that it's been a while since you've met as a Bible class, is that correct? And that you're studying James and Galatians, is that correct? And Pastor Bruzek is the James guy? And Pastor Geinig is the Galatians guy, is that right too? Did I get that right? Now I don't know much about James, but I have been teaching Galatians for 12 years. And I will say it's one of my passions, teaching that course, I love teaching Galatians. So I'm not gonna say anything about James, okay? But I'm gonna talk about Galatians. He sent me his notes and he has, as I said earlier, he's given you all the good stuff, (laughs) yes. So I'm gonna just review a little bit of what he said And then what I want to do is I want to give you the cultural context. I want you to know why these issues are important. Um, First things, and just a few dates, so you have a kind of a sense of where we're at. Everything hinges around the year 49. Does anybody know what year that is? Why Why is that a big, important date? Does anybody know? The council in Jerusalem, Acts 15, You would not be here today if it wasn't for that council. That council is everything. And it's in Jerusalem, and everybody who's anybody is there. Now when I say that, this is what I mean. Peter, James, and John are the three great disciples. They're the pillars of the church in the first 12 chapters of Acts. They're the big guys who go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, do you know who they are? Peter, you know, James and John are the sons of Zebedee. John is the evangelist. James is the one who is martyred in chapter 12 of of Acts. And that was a huge event for the church. You can read it. When he's martyred, Peter and James are arrested. James is martyred. First of the 12 to be martyred. First martyr being Stephen. When James is martyred, the church goes into crisis mode. Peter actually disappears, in a sense. He comes back in Acts 15, but we never hear from Peter again in Acts. But that's a very critical moment. There's another James, James the brother of Jesus, who takes over as bishop of Jerusalem. And he's the, he's the one in Galatians, he's the one in Acts 15. So when we say Peter, James, and John, we're talking Peter, John the son of Zebedee, and James the brother of Jesus. Okay? So those are, the, those are the three that we're going to be talking about. The other major figure, obviously, is whom? Paul. Okay? Now, you know a lot about Paul, but let me just give you a few things you probably don't know. You know he's a Pharisee, don't you? Which means he is zealous for the law. He is the Jew of Jews. He's about three or four years younger than Jesus. So they're contemporaries. They're contemporaries. The reason why Paul is important in the New Testament is because he's one of these zealous, zealous, zealous Jews, But he's not from Jerusalem. He's from Tarsus, which is a Gentile city, which means he was brought up as a Jew in a Gentile town. And Tarsus is a very significant city. Big city, big library, big commerce, lots of activity there. I mean, it was a significant Roman place. And he learned, at a young age, first 12 years of his life, he learned kind of the Roman schooling system. And one of those things was rhetoric. Rhetoric was everything in the first century if you were gonna be an educated person, how to speak, how to argue. So Paul in his first 12 years is a very significant training in Tarsus. Then his father, we think, about the time of his bar mitzvah, when he becomes you know puberty, sends him to Jerusalem to study to be a Pharisee under the best school, the Yale and Harvard of, of the, the rabbinical kind of pharisaical schools, Gamaliel and he was valedictorian. He was that guy you hate, <laughs> the curve breaker, you know? He was, and he says it, and, and he has all these contemporaries that are studying with him. I mean, the guy is brilliant. Uh, I, I always say, and I, when I, I'm not a historian, but history is defined by great people, and there are certain figures that rise up, and these are towering intellects. Paul was one of them, Augustine was another, You know, do you know Augustine? End of the 4th century, beginning of the 5th century. Luther, you know, Luther was just an Augustinian monk in a nowhere place. But why did Luther do what he did? Because he was such an incredible intellect. Paul, Augustine, Luther. I mean, right there you've got Christian history. Boom. Paul is brilliant. He's brilliant. But he's not what we would call a nice guy. Paul takes no prisoners. He is zealous no matter what he does. He's fierce for the law. And Paul is in Jerusalem, say, from about the year, let me see, if he was born around the year zero, he's in Jerusalem from about the, the, the year 12 to the year, well, beyond that, 30. He was there when Jesus was doing his thing. He knew Jesus very well. Paul as a Pharisee, and this is very important to know if you're going to understand anything about what we're going to talk about, Paul, as a Pharisee, believes that you get into the kingdom by grace. Okay? Did you hear that? No works of the law to get into the kingdom. Circumcision is an absolutely unilateral act of God. So to get into the kingdom, it's by grace, but here's the difference between him and Jesus. To stay in the kingdom, it's by works of of the law. Do you see that? You get in by grace, you stay in by works. Now, that is a very different way of understanding it. It is a bit of a subtle thing, because we're not against works. That's why they're doing James and Galatians together. We're not against works, but it's the way you think about works. And Paul would have been very much opposed to Jesus, as were all the Pharisees in the Gospels. Now, here's something that you probably know, but maybe haven't thought about. If you were to see Jesus walking along the streets of Galilee and hear him teaching, you know, go to his sermons in the synagogues, listen to him, and you were to say, which party does Jesus belong to? You would say, Pharisee. He looks like a Pharisee, smells like a Pharisee, teaches like a Pharisee. He is a Pharisee in every way except for one thing, and that's the one thing that makes all the difference in the world. Jesus teaches salvation by grace, and grace alone. Whereas Pharisees, as I just told you, salvation, you get in by grace, you stay in by works of the law. And that pits them together. They are actually as close to him as anyone else, and they are as far from him as anyone else, which is why they're his bitter enemies. And if you read the Gospels carefully, you will see, you will see that the ones who put Jesus to death are the Pharisees. Even though the Sadducees are the ones who have the power to, basically get the the, the Romans to do it, the Pharisees are the ones who want him dead. Sadducees don't care. Sadducees really don't care. And, you know, again, this is another thing, but you read the Gospels, and the Sadducees are basically temple keepers, they're priests, Jesus gets in their face only at the end, and then they they realize, yeah, maybe we ought to listen to the Pharisees and get rid of them. The Pharisees are his bitter enemies. And yet they invite him to to his house all the time, you know, to teach. Because they're so close, yet they're so far. Paul's a Pharisee. He gets it, he understands what Jesus is about, and he also understands the danger. One other thing: Pharisees and Sadducees, okay, who are the chief priests party, they hate each other. Pharisees are conservatives, Bible-believing, you know. Sadducees are liberals. They don't believe in the angels, they don't believe in the resurrection, they only accept the first five books of the Bible. The Torah, they don't like the prophets, so you've got two groups that are at each other. Okay, and and Paul does not like the Sadducees. Read the book of Acts when he gets into the temple and he's arrested, and what does he do? He he's he's under you know this is a great thing. I always tell guys if they're in a doctoral exam, you get the professors to fight with each other, and they leave you alone. Okay, <laughs> it's great. I just I was just examining someone a few weeks ago. And it was, it was exactly that. You know, we started fighting. <laughs> and and that, 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 that great, the student just sat there and listened to us fight. It was great. But he gets to the temple, you know, and he's arrested, and he appears before the Sanhedrin, which are Pharisees and Sadducees. And Paul's smart. He goes, I'm only here because of the resurrection. He steps back, and he watches the Pharisees and the Sadducees fight. You can read about it. It's in Acts. Okay? Now, here, here's, here's what's important to know about Paul. Paul is hired by the chief priests, his enemies, to persecute Christians. So Paul, who is zealous and does not, you know, he doesn't compromise anything, he is willing to work with the chief priests to go after Christians. That's because he thinks Christians and Christ is so really against what he's about. So when he is converted on the road to Damascus, that is a Huge change for Paul, and here's the thing about Damascus. This is in, in Acts nine. Damascus is not—it's li- not like Paul didn't know anything about Jesus or the gospel or the—he knew everything. He just didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. And as soon as he believes that, everything changes for Paul, and you can see that he's no longer defined by the law, but he's defined by Christ and the gospel. So it's not an information download at Damascus. He got justification right, right there. Now, these are the, the ju- justification is the big doctrine. It starts in Galatians. And if, if you're reading the New Testament, Galatians is critical depending upon when you date it. Now, I'm an early dater. Now, that may not mean anything to you. <laughs> I don't mean that in you know, an early dater. I'm an early dater of Galatians. (laughs) But um, Galatians Galatians is dated for me before the Apostolic Council. So all the battles that Paul is having are happening before that council, and that council brings everything kind of to a head. And, And here's what's so interesting about Galatians and the council and everything. It's all about Jews and Gentiles. It really is, it really is. And when Paul is called in Damascus, it's a conversion, but it's also a call. It's both. He's converted now to understand that, that Jesus is the Christ. And and you read it, read it carefully, uh, Acts 9. He sees and is defined by the fact that he is called as the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, you all know the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you know, <laughs> he's preaching at the Jordan. And, you know, he's calling people to repentance, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees come out, and they say to him, we are children of Abraham. Who, who do you think you are talking to us this way? You know? I mean, they, they do not like John. And here's John's response. And maybe, if you, if you don't know this, you don't see the real. He says, God can raise from these, you know the word? Stones. Stones. Children of Abraham. Now, do you know what Jews called Gentiles? Stones. Jews were not even human. They weren't even animate objects. They were stones. That's how how little Jews thought of Gentiles. And you've got to recognize that for, for Pharisees, for even Sadducees, for all of them, it's all about holy and unholy. And the unholiest thing possible is a Gentile. Gentiles were, why? Why were Gentiles so bad? What's the number one commandment for Jews? What's the thing that just, have no other gods? You got it, idolatry. And, and Gentiles worship idols, inanimate objects, and they do. Now, we were just in Galatia a few years ago, and it's, it's a beautiful part, it's in central Turkey there. And there were these incredible pagan temples there, that the Galatians, and th- this is important to know. Galatians are the Celtic people. Did you know that? They're Irish, came down. And they were the mercenaries of the Roman Empire. These were tough guys. If you needed a battle to be fought and you wanted somebody to be, you go to Galatia. These were really tough people, settled in this very kind of harsh but beautiful land in the middle of Turkey today. And they were out-and-out pagans, out-and-out pagans. And what I mean by that is there were two things that pagans did in their religion. Two things, that they had communion with their God. They had communion with their God by um, foods, sacrifice to idols. And all you have to do is read Paul's letters and know what a big deal food sacrifice to idols is. Acts 15, the Apostolic Council is about that. The second thing is sexual immorality. They had temple prostitutes. So you would commune with your God by food and by consorting with the temple prostitutes. And Galatians being soldiers, being all over the empire where all these Roman temples were, this was huge. This, was, this, is, this is how the Romans worshiped. And then they'd bring these idols, little copies of it in their houses, and they'd worship him in their houses. So Jews were completely opposed to idol worship. And if you read Galatians carefully, you will see that really what he's writing that epistle to is not Jews. He's writing it to, to pagans who have been converted to the faith, who were formerly idol worshippers. And they were enslaved to that. And Paul freed them from that. When Paul did his first missionary journey, he goes to synagogues first. This is, this is in the year of probably 47, 48, Apostolic Council, in 49. So this is just before the Apostolic Council. He's in southern, probably the southern part of Galatia there, near Tarsus, where he was from. Tarsus is Cilicia, not Galatia. But Galatia is just north of Cilicia. So if you look at a map, I think you, you can all picture this. Cilicia is on the coast. Galatia is just north of it. So he goes. He kind of goes through where he's from, but then he goes up into Galatia. He goes to the synagogue, and you know what happens when he goes to synagogues? Some people go for it, and others, and they're 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 you know they're not they they just don't walk out you know like on a Sunday here and say, Pastor, thank you very much, but I you know that sermon wasn't quite up to snuff, you know. They actually they actually take it out on you physically. And in Lystra, Paul is beaten up by Jews left dead along the side of the road. That is probably the context in which he's picked up by these soldiers. This is in Galatians 4. Read it. And it's so interesting because the word in Greek there is a word that is the word that you would use. You know how you get sulfur in your nose? You ever had sulfur in your nose and you just want, <laughs> you want to spit it out? Paul said, I was so pathetic, beaten up, pus, Probably in his eyes, you know, he had an eye problem. The very end of Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing you. Probably because he can't see very well. That's probably probably one of the things that was his problem. Got his eyes beat up. He was a putrid, pussy mess. And he said, I was so pathetic that you would have spit me out. But these were soldiers. They'd seen this stuff before. They pick him up. They welcome Paul and... He says, you welcome me as an angel of God, angel, as Christ himself. And that was the occasion for him preaching the gospel. His own body, his own body becomes the means by which he preaches the gospel. So here he is in Galatia now. The Jews have rejected him. These Galatians have accepted him as a, really an act of grace on their part and then on his part. And he preaches the gospel and he has this incredible love affair with these people. It's a passionate pastoral letter. And he loves them, loves them, because he brought them out of slavery. And they're totally dedicated to him. And you know what? They don't talk about Jewish things at all, really. I mean, he tells them about Jesus and what they need to know, but he doesn't say you have to be circumcised. He doesn't say you have to keep the Sabbath. He doesn't say you have to eat all the Jewish foods, because they're not Jews. And you don't have to keep the law. It's all by grace. So they have this incredible, whatever it is, a year, year and a half together, he teaches them, they love him, he goes back to Antioch, and what happens? Here you can read it, it's in Galatians 2. He's in Antioch, Peter comes up, you know, and and before he went to Antioch, he goes to Jerusalem first. This is Galatians 2, 2. And Paul's a smart man. He just went to these Gentiles. He knows Jerusalem is not crazy about Gentiles. And here's a little something you should know. Jerusalem are all Jews. So even though they believe it's by grace, they keep the law because they're Jews. It's, it's not a matter of salvation, but they don't know any better. You know, they've been Jews their whole life, so they keep the law. they are the temples there, they're surrounded by Jews, so they, they keep the law. They don't say you have to keep the law to be saved, but they keep the law. And Paul knows that, and he goes down and he lays the gospel that he preached before, you know, the, um, the Gentiles before the, 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 the pillars. Remember what I told you they were? Peter, John, the, the evangelist, and James, the bishop. They love it, they have the right hand of fellowship, they celebrate the Lord's Supper together, he and Barnabas go back to Antioch. So everything's good. Peter comes up from Jerusalem, have, after this agreement, to Antioch, and he says, okay, you know, and, and remember, again, I'm giving you lots of history, but it's all, it's all there in Acts. All I have to do is read it in Acts. Remember, Peter is the first evangelist to the Gentiles. He gets the vision. Remember in Acts 10 and 11? Remember that? Okay, Cornelius. Cornelius. And he doesn't want to go there, but God opens the, you know, his eyes, and the heavens open, and the sheet, and you know, all these things are clean. So Peter's the one who's, I mean, he, he gets a vision. <laughs> you know, Paul does too, but Peter, you know, and he goes to the Gentiles, So Peter says, wow, this is great. You know, Paul's opening this up. James is accepting it. The Jerusalem church is accepting it. I'm going to go up to Antioch and see what's going on there. Jerusalem's all Jews. Galatians is all Gentiles. Antioch, that sent out Paul and Barnabas, that's Jews and Gentiles together. That's a problem. You put Jews and Gentiles together, it's like oil and water. Well, Peter goes up there he worships with the Jews, the Gentiles together. They have table fellowship together. And, here's, here, and I really believe this is true. Remember, Peter is a Jew. He's from Jerusalem. He's lived like a Jew his whole life. And all of a sudden now, he's eating Gentile foods. It's like an Englishman going to France. I mean, he had taste buds he never knew he had. He's loving it. He's got great wines, great food. I'm serious. He's eating with these Gentiles. They're introducing him to things. He's going, this is great. God has created a great world. Where have I been for 30, 33 years or whatever? You know, he's about the age of Jesus, too. But then all of a sudden, these and these are classmates of Paul. These are classmates of Paul who were converted after Paul's conversion to the Christian church, so they're Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, but they're zealous still for the law. They're a separate party. The James Party, they're sometimes called, the circumcision party. They do not like the Gentile mission. They, they think that, and here's, here's the deal in reading Galatians, they think that in order to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. So you have to be circumcised. Now, do you all know about God fears? God fears are the are the are the Gentiles who kind of went to the synagogue and listened to the word of God and were believers, but they didn't want to get circumcised, as many of you might very well appreciate. They didn't want to go that far. That was a a major move. But they were considered part of kind of Israel, even though not fully because they hadn't been circumcised. And now these Jewish Christians, classmates of Paul from probably the school of Gamaliel, knowing that he's the valedictorian, they're coming up to Antioch, and they're saying this in Antioch, and then they're going to Galatia. And this is what they're saying. They're saying, Paul was number one in our class. He's brilliant. Nobody interprets the scripture better than him. But, you know, he's kind of like a seminary professor. He's out of touch with the real world. And he, he wants you to like him. So he's not telling you the whole story. He's not telling you that once you've, you've accepted, you know, the, the idea of this, this change by faith. You've got to become a Jew. you gotta, you got to submit to circumcision. You've got to keep the law. He didn't tell you about the law, because the law is a bummer. I know, yeah, right. You know, but, but it's not all by grace. It's grace and the law. And so he's undoing everything Paul has done. He starts in Antioch. Peter goes with them. Big split in the church. Paul gets in Peter's face. Barnabas goes with with them, you know, Barnabas, the guy who was on the, I mean, it was a tragic moment, if you, if if the church would have ended in Galatians 2, 11 to 14, we'd have had, we'd have had a Jewish church and a Gentile church, you know, that same group goes to Galatia, undoes it, Paul sends out his letter to the Galatians, and here's what Paul is saying, what time is it, I got 15 minutes, okay, here's what Paul is saying to them, and now I'm coming to a Josh, uh, Pastor Gaining, I should say, was telling you about. You, uh, you can't hear me. No, not when you go back there. Really? I'm sorry. Am I on? <laughs> I am on. Okay. I'll stay here. Yeah, sure um, here is what here is what Paul is telling the, the the Gentiles in his letter to the Galatians, and 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 I think this is very important because I think it relates to our world today more than any other time. Paul sees the event of Jesus' incarnation as a cosmic event. And he thinks not just in a very small little kind of parochial Jer- Jerusalem Jewish way. He sees that Jesus is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles, and that it's an entire world that is being changed. Not just not just people, but an entire creation that's being changed. And he here he is following, and I think he, I mean, this is, this is, I know this doesn't seem like rocket science to you, but it is for many scholars today. He is completely, totally influenced by the teaching of Jesus. He is, he is channeling Jesus, even though he doesn't use the same language Jesus does. The narrative of Jesus' life and everything that Jesus is is what Paul is talking about. And he sees Jesus coming into this world as, and here, this is a language that, that I use, like an apocalyptic invasion. And apocalyptic is revelation. And by invasion, it's like an alien. Jesus is like an alien. You confess it. Every time you confess the, the Nicene Creed, he came down from heaven and enters the world. And when Jesus enters the world, he's coming as the creator who is coming and breaking into his creation to, in a sense, fix it, make it new, make it, return it to what it was intended to be. Only he could do it because he's the creator. And so what what Paul is telling the Galatians who are Gentiles that Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. He came for the entire cosmos. And when he comes, it's sort of violent because the creation is affected by the creator who made it all. And by violent, I mean things happen to bodies, to the creation. It's dark during his crucifixion. There's earthquakes, the dead rise, people are healed. It's a physical manifestation. And and he's telling the Galatians that this incarnation, this apocalyptic invasion is for them, these mercenaries, these pagans, these idol worshipers. And here's what he's saying to them. This is the way... And this is what justification means, and this is what Pastor Gaining talked to you about. Sorry, I'm leaving again. (laughs) This is making right what has gone wrong. That's what justification is. That's what the word righteousness means. Rectification. I, I saw his notes. He talked to you about that language. To rectify means to make right. And that is really the way to think of justification in its first use by Paul in Galatians. In other words, it's a creational cosmic thing. It's not... It's not simply, although it is, a courtroom, forensic, with judge and lawyer and prosecuting attorney and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's more cosmic. It's more creational. What has gone wrong is that the world has been infected with sin, and Jesus comes to make right what has gone wrong. And why Jesus? Because he's the creator. He's the only one who can do it. Now, there are three alternatives in, in Galatians as to making right what has gone wrong. The first alternative is what his opponents, the Jewish Christians, what a Pharisee might say, and that is that you make right what has gone wrong by your works, okay? Think of it on your own personal little level, all right? What, what is the date today? Today's the 18th, so we're eight day, 18 days into a new year. Everybody's done their New Year's resolution to lose five pounds, to, to read the Bible every day, right? By your works, right? It's all about works. You're gonna you're gonna zealously change things. How you doing? (laughs) Right? I mean, maybe some of you are really good, like Paul, zealous to it, but you know that ultimately you're not gonna make right what has gone wrong. It's too far gone. You have you, you can't do it. Nobody can do it. And and Paul says that in Galatians. If you wanna keep the law, you gotta keep the whole thing. You can't just be selective can't just, you've got to keep it all. And nobody can. The only one who can is Jesus. That's why he's Jesus. So works, I ain't going to do it. Here's the other alternative and this is the other thing that that Pastor Gainig talked to you about. There is a very simple expression in Galatians and it's it's translated differently in our, our translations. Most of them say faith in Christ which means our faith in Jesus. But the Greek is ambiguous there. And the King James translates it, the faith of Jesus, the faith of Christ, which means his faith, could mean his faith. And I think that's really what Paul is talking about, myself. I think that, that little expression, and, and Pastor Gain talked to you about it, being a genitive. I don't know if genitive is usually in English possessive, you know, the, the, the bike of me, my bike, you know, I own it. But genitives can be lots of different things. And and this is a genitive where, and I know he used this language, you do, Christ is doing the verbs. You know, Christ is the one who is is faithful, and it's faithful unto death. And that's how you make right right what has gone wrong by by Jesus' faith to the cross. That's that's how God is going to make it happen. And he's not going to make it happen, here's the third choice through our faith. I mean, if it was up to us, even though God gives us the faith, that's not the cosmic event. The cosmic event is the atonement. and Don't let anybody ever tell you differently. That is the event. Everything goes to the cross. You cannot, cannot understand the Bible without the atonement. It's all about blood. Um, In about a week, I'm going to teach the book of Hebrews. And boy, that's a bloody book. And it's a, bl- it's a bloody Old Testament. Uh, you'd, you'd be shocked if you were at the temple to see all the blood that is poured out in that place. So when we're talking about Galatians, we're talking about how Paul comes to these Gentiles and says, you're in the kingdom because Jesus came for everyone, for all of creation. He's the one who's made right what has gone wrong. He's made you right in where you've gone wrong, just like he's made these Jews right where they've gone wrong, being you know, sucked into the law, and it is his faithfulness that you now believe in. Faith is, goes both ways, first Christ, then us. But here's the problem, and you can, you can ask yourself if you can relate to this, and then I'll give you a chance for a couple of questions. What, what the Galatians did, some of them, some of them, these pagans who were enslaved to idol worship, to the elemental powers of the universe, they traded that slavery for slavery under the law. And Paul says, I mean, and you know what he says to them, you foolish Galatians, at one point, literally, he says, you must be on drugs. You must be, you must be high to, to go from the freedom in Christ to this slavery under the law. How can you do this? You're going back to your paganism. And here's where he really gets those Jews. This must have, I mean, you can see why the Jews beat him up. Because this is what he says to the Jews. If you teach them that salvation is by works of the law, you have become a pagan. And he, tells, he says that over and over again. You have become a pagan. And do you want to be a pagan, Jews? Oh, that's, that's, they're, they're stones. That's idol worship. I mean, that's the greatest insult you can get. And you know, it's, it's always much more comfortable for me to teach Galatians when it's all men. Because Paul, I'm sorry, he, <laughs> he, he plays off the image of circumcision. And now that we have deaconess students at our, our seminary, I, I cannot, I, I, I don't feel as comfortable letting Paul be Paul. But I will very briefly here, in the last chapter, in the last chapter, chapter 6 you know, I, I always wondered this, especially when I first was teaching it. Why is Paul so obsessed with circumcision? And why is he so angry? I mean, he's, it's, he starts this epistle like none other. There's no kind of, oh, grace, peace to you, I love you, and you're so wonderful. He goes right after him. And at the end, he doesn't let go. He doesn't say, okay, now that I've had my time, you know, I mean, he, he brings circumcision back. He hadn't talked about it in a while, and he brings it back. And, and here's what he says to the Galatians this is what he says. Um, and remember what I told you he came to them he came to them with his body beaten. He said, okay, here's, here's what it's about. your opponents are saying this that salvation comes from just having a pile of dead foreskins. Is that what you want to believe in? A bunch of dead foreskins says, I'm, I don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. And this is the, there's a, a, the last line before he says grace and peace to you. He says, I am bearing in my body the stigmata. You know what stigmata are? The signs of Jesus in my flesh. So he says to the Galatians, here it is. pile of dead foreskins or me. Because the same powers that put these stigmata on my body, crucified Jesus. And my body now preaches the gospel. And when you saw that body broken by the powers against the gospel, and you received me as an angel of God, as Christ himself, it's my body, my preaching, me. The apostle starts by talking about how important it is that he's apostle. My body, my stigmata, or a bunch of dead foreskins, your choice. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, brothers. That's the end of his letter. (laughs) That is one powerful wham at the end of his letter. The stigmata, the stigmata. They're not insignificant. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know what happened in Galatia. We don't know. You go there now, you're not gonna find a Christian church. It's It's a Muslim country. And you will see remnants of them. You'll see the churches in these these caves that are magnificent. They, they have the most incredible natural, kind of like the, the Black Hills of South Dakota, but even more spectacular. And they carved these churches in the, you know, the, during the persecution of the of the Romans in the third, fourth century, and then later on the Muslims, they carved these churches in there, they hung out in there, but there's no Christians there now, really. Very few. Very, very few. I think like 3, 4, 5% of the population of Turkey is Christian. So and we don't know what happened afterwards. But Paul, that was a defining moment for Paul. Justification is important. Faith of Christ is important. Apostolic counsel is important. And in this postmodern world in which we live today, the doctrine of justification as a cosmic event, as a creational event, as an event in which it's, it, is, it is between Christ's faith and works of the law. I mean we are inundated with with religions that are teaching you even Christianity even here in Wheaton that it's by the law it's by works that's fundamental. And so these are as pertinent I've never seen a more relevant letter than Paul's letter to the Galatians especially today. Okay, I got a few minutes. Questions? Is everybody? Yes, ma'am. At the Apostolic Council, he does. Okay, then what happened with Barnabas? Barnabas too. Okay, so the Apostolic Council brought them. Brought them all together. Good, I didn't finish that story. Do you want to hear it real quick? Okay, <laughs> what, what happens is Paul somehow, and it set, you, can, you read it in Acts 15, 1 to 5. It says after not much of a, a discussion, which means after a very heated discussion. <laughs> it's one of those Greek <laughs> understatements. Paul and Barnabas are together and sent by the church in Antioch to go to Jerusalem. And I I really do think, I mean, I'd love to study Acts 15 with you because it's one of the great moments of how human beings react. The three great players, the speakers at the council are Peter, Paul and Barnabas, they're together, and then James, the bishop and there are different points of view there's the Jerusalem point of view there's the gentile point of view and then there's the pharisaical point of view who are the ones who got the council you know to come together because you know they're the ones who precipitated the problem and what's interesting is who represents what point of view paul should represent his own point of view but you know why paul doesn't because jerusalem hates him they don't like him peter who was at one time the bishop of jerusalem he is Peter, he says to Paul, and you you can read this, and this is not there, but this is what happens. Peter says to Paul, you're not going to represent the Gentile point of view, I am. And that's where Peter repents. It's one of the great moments in salvation history where you can see why Peter is the great man that he is. He publicly repents by getting up there and representing Paul's point of view and, and it's, it's, a, it's an amazing moment. Then P- Paul and, and Barnabas go, yeah, everything Peter said is true about the Gentiles. And then James, the bishop, gets up. And you can see how that idea of a bishop, the one, he's the guy who really delivers the goods in terms of getting everybody to agree. But they do come together. It's a good, good point. Yeah? We don't know. If I were a betting man, I would say it was James. James is a greater... This is the brother of Jesus. He is a greater man than we, I think, realize. And later on, the the church fathers had nothing but great things to say about James. And I think Peter went back to Jerusalem, and he told James about this, and James said, you blew it, Peter. I I think James is the one. James is a very important person. Even though he wasn't an apostle, he was the brother of Jesus. Very, very important. When he when he, he was martyred in about the year, just, just so you have some dates, Paul and Peter are martyred in about 64, 65. Jerusalem is destroyed in 70. James is martyred in about 62 in Jerusalem. And everything comes undone after that. James is kind of the, they, they call him the bulwark, the stalwart. He kept everybody together. There are people like that who just have that capacity. James was one. Even more than Peter in some ways. Other questions? This is, this is, I mean, you can see how great Galatians is great. What, what you should do is, is study at some point Galatians and Acts 15 together. That's, that's a great study. Anything else? Is everybody clear on everything that you helped clarify something there? Maybe what I'll do, I think Josh has it. I have a chronology on all of this, so you can see all the dates, and it's easier to see, to, you know, you've the, got the missionary journeys and where it all is and how it fits. It, it's a very important part of reading the New Testament. No one else? Really? Okay. I think it's time. One more question. Yeah? Pastor D, you take your Galatians class. He did. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did take it. And... Um, And and I've changed my mind about some things since he took it, though. I have. So, anyway. Okay, let's rise for a blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.